A podcast network. I'm Rob Waller from IC Hawks in LA, and you are listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andras Jones. To Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones, hanging out here at Starburns Industries with our musical guests, Velvet Starlings. Hello. Hello, Velvet Starlings. And now, joining us on the line from an undisclosed location, a man named John Ferreter. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball, John. Hey, thanks for having me, and thanks for uh, including me with Velvet Starlings. Oh, of course, of course. Now, how do you know this band, Velvet Starlings? Well, I've seen them play several times, and they're an amazing, they're an amazing band. Um, so a friend of mine, my friend Mark Platt, sent me uh, a couple songs and said, what do you think of this? And um, I thought it was great. I said, this band's great. Like, who are they? And then um, I started to look at some of their music and realized they were playing in town i went out and saw them and i just had such a good time it it took me back to just a really good place of where music was real and everybody playing it was passionate and was a little bit dangerous you know it was almost like at any moment it could implode but instead it just kind of took off in great you know uh melodic uh, uh riffs and runs and stuff and it just gave me a really good feeling so um that's kind of how i learned about them and i've become a fan uh, yeah, Mark Platt. He's he, actually he was the one who turned me on to Velvet Starlings, and has been uh, turning me on to you and the Tearaways. John? Well, God bless Mark Platt. Yes, he's a good connector. He's a great connector. And I, as I look through your, uh, I was I was going through your Wikipedia page as, as I do often with my guests, and I noticed a couple things that we share. First of all, uh, you you're from Washington State originally. Well, originally, yeah, I was born in Tacoma. I was born in the rain, and uh, <clears throat> so I seem to be com- comfortable, of, you know, when I'm in London and places like that when the rain comes down. It just kind of reminds me of uh, the first year of my life. So you but, only uh, lived yep. for one year in in Tacoma? Yes, I was. My dad was in the army, <clears throat> so I, I had like ten or eleven different residences before I was eleven. But I started at Madigan General Hospital at Fort Lewis, Washington. And then we did a whole journey through the through the South and through Pennsylvania and Virginia and Germany. And then uh, when I was 11, we moved to Northern California. And the first year, 
we were in five or six different residences, and I ended up in uh, Truckee, California, actually not too far from where Velvet Starlings hail from. From Chico. Yeah. Well, right. uh, we have a we have a theme, uh, an emerging theme of people who lived where they were born for one year. We got into it with our previous guest, Spud, about uh, Santa Cruz. I was born in Santa Cruz, but only lived there for a year and then moved up to the Northwest. And uh, and the other thing I noticed here is that you have worked with uh, with the great Earl Mankey. Yes, um, I've known Earl for <laughs> more than half my lifetime. I was always a fan of his, what he did with um, Half Nelson and Sparks and then all the engineering and producing he did with Eric Carmen, the Beach Boys, Elton John. And then he and uh, Kim Fowley got together and really were at the forefront of the L.A. rock scene in the late 70s and 80s, all the in the uh, the rock guitar band, um, the Long Riders, Concrete Blonde, the Three O'Clock, the Pop 2020. So I just have had a shorthand and a friendship as have the other guys in the band with Earl for years. And I don't know, we've recorded, I've probably recorded 100 songs with them over the years, um, 20 to 30 before I came back into the Tearaways and about 70 to 80 since I've been back in the Tearaways for six years. Wow, I haven't seen him in a while, but he recorded my band's first record when we were about the same age as this, uh, the, as the Velvet, as Velvet Starlings. And uh, yes. Yeah. He's one of the great ones. And, he's, he's one of the great ones. And 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 he's the same guy. He's he has been consistent uh, his whole career in terms of how he works and who he works with and everything. So he's never going to do a disservice to anybody that comes in to uh, to play with him. You're oh. always going to come out with something great. No, no, he made some. He made us sound great. He made us sound great. But by, by the way, another another uh, synchronicity between you and I, if you were born in Santa Cruz, is I lived in Carmel during high school and went to um, uh, high school in Pebble Beach. Oh. So literally just south of where you were born. We were just weaving, weaving, weaving all this together. Now, uh, now you guys are all, you're all into the 60s, but I assume, I'm just, just going to, let's just say that for the sake of anyone knowing here, you probably have not dabbled in any of the psychedelia beyond the music. Oh, right. you're, n- I, Michael, I don't know about you're on the, <laughs> just statistically, you got more years, so maybe I have not. Yeah, yeah. I'm cu- no, so I'm curious. Are it, when I was discovering the music of the '60s, I I took a long time to ever try that stuff out, but I was always really curious about it because all of my heroes wrote about it, were inspired by it, and in a way, it made me want to treat it with an amount of reverence that kept me from just diving in, like maybe some of my friends were just like, yeah, party! But I'm curious, what do you, sorry, John, I, I, I felt like I just got to go down the rabbit hole here for a second with the band. Do you have any particular re- um, relationship to the psychedelic aspect of the 60s music? I think from what I've heard, I've like I've said, I have no experience, but you see... The way it, ha- what it, what it did to the Beatles or the Doors or whoever it was, it was kind of like a spiritual experience and not just something to be just wasted or just done eating like a candy bar almost. Mm-hmm. And the people who do it like that every day, they end up like moon running mm-hmm. over their friends and losing their teeth <laughs> or whatever end up, ends up happening. So... <laughs> I mean, I think that was the alcohol, actually. Oh for, yeah, for Moon. <laughs> yeah, he got into some crazy stuff like elephant tranquilizer and yeah, that, yeah. That's when you get a bit too far. Well, that's not psychedelic. But, that's just yeah. trouble. Well, <laughs> oh, John, you well, gotta... no, well, 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 two things. One, 
Um, no, pers- personally, I've never done any any of that stuff. But but there are a couple of reasons why. I was the youngest of five, but the way I really discovered all this music is I was stealing my brothers and sisters' records that they had. That's kind of how I got turned on to everything. And then the second thing is you got to remember the stuff that these guys were doing in the '60s. Like I used to manage Marty Ballin, who you know created the Jefferson Airplane, like the lead singer uh, for the Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson Starship. I was Jerry Garcia's last agent. I had lots and you know from the Grateful Dead. I had lots and lots of conversations with these guys because they were my you know heroes and idols. You know amongst them with the Beatles and stuff like that. But they would tell me point blank the stuff that that those guys were doing in '65, '66, and '67 is chemically completely different from what was then available in the '70s, '80s, and '90s because people started you know changing all these things you know the scientists and chemists got involved so if you think you're doing the if, if you were going to get into psychedelics and you think you're doing the stuff that like Owlsley did and that stuff back in the the you know the trips festivals and all those things it's not the same you know it's the difference between drinking a coke and then drinking a, a you know monster drink now they're completely different things so that's one thing to, to be aware of and and by the way most of the people that were doing all those things are either dead or institutionalized at this point. So there was a lot of abuse that went on for years. You know, experimentation is always part of the arts, and mm-hmm. it's always part of music, whether you're experimenting musically or with other stuff. But at a certain point, as Jerry Garcia said to me one day, a man must know his limitations. So you just got to be careful. When Jerry Garcia tells you that a man must know his limitations, you know you're talking to a serious warrior <laughs> there. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no, no question. I was with Jerry the, in in a meeting with the, the top people from Warner Brothers and all the, the Warner companies because they were doing a deal with Jerry. And it was like two days after Kurt Cobain you know, had taken his life. Mm. And there was all this big con- you know, conversation and emotion because the Warner Brothers people were connected to Kurt. And that's when Jerry said it. He just he kind of stopped the meeting. And he said, hey, look, a man must know his limitations. And he said, I, I feel for everyone here. But he's like, I've lost like five band members to OD. <laughs> so I mean, that kind of, you know, kind of stopped the room at that point. But yeah, it was a, uh, it was kind of like, you know, a real live rock and roll oracle. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is. I mean, they they are called shamanic drugs, and you don't want uh, by people who take or shamanic medicines by people who who are trained in those in those realms, and you don't mess around with the with serious magic i started the show off by asking this question i'm sure you like i think everyone who's ever done this business sort of asks which is how how to navigate between the purity of the music and the sort of the bullshit that surrounds it and i feel like that's very much the case when we're dealing with these shamanic medicines that some people use like they're a monster drink and some people use like they are what they are intended to be there's a funny thing connected to that is that when you're talking about navigating music, and, and this is actually one of the things I love. <clears throat> First time I, I saw Velvet Starlings and I saw, saw Christian and the gang playing, is that they were connected to the music. You know, there was the, the, the DNA between what they were doing and how they were all playing together and the flow of the music. It was like, hey, they were making art for art's sake, which was really a beautiful thing to see because you also got to remember, the moment you start selling your art, it's not your art anymore. So as long as you can keep doing it because it's what you want to do and it's what you have to do and it's representative of you, then, you know, the sky's the limit with what you can do. 
But the moment you start selling it, it's not your art anymore. It belongs to other people. Yeah. What are you going to say, Christian? I just want to say the way I see it, at this point, I've not experimented with it, not even weed or anything like that. And, I mean, from what people say, it only makes music better. And if I'm into music and loving it as much as I do right now, I have no reason to delve into anything like yeah. that. And then you got people like like Arcade Fire or Jack White. I love Jack White so much. He's He claims he's never even smoked marijuana. So if he's able to do all the things he's done so far, he's like probably the last great rock star persona. Well, yeah, and I did. I, I do want to like step back here because I have been talking about the psychedelic as the, in the shamanic medicine side of it. But I think of Radio 8 Ball, this a format that we're engaging as a psychedelic for, a format because it, it, it expands like your mind. Too. Yeah, playing music itself is is whether it's quote psychedelic music, but it does it does expand your consciousness. It does change your experience of reality and even people like pete townsend had divine experiences like i think when he was like eight or something he went on this boat when he was at a camp and he heard angels singing and he talked about and i'm sure he wasn't you know yeah on acid no, when no. he was seven no 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 so. i mean there's that childhood is a psychedelic experience yeah um so well let, let's get into your question for the pop oracle john what, what do you got for us Okay. Well, I've been thinking about a lot of different things, but because they're doing the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony next Friday, so I'll, I'll direct it towards the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So one of the most influential bands, groups, entities in the 60s, because they had the first real big hit TV show, were the Monkees. So will the Monkees ever get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, you know what? up to this point. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You're, you, you, this is... I would say this is one of the most asked questions. I think we've had this, and nothing wrong about it, just it speaks to this groundswell of support. I think you're like the third person to be on the show and ask about the Monkees and the Hall of Fame. So clearly the people want to know. And now, to engage the Pop Oracle on your behalf, John, I'm going to spin the Wheel of Eight. Na, 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 na. We love eight. And it is song number eight, No Soul to Save. Oh. <laughs> you guys ready? Never done this acoustic yeah. ever. <laughs> No wonder why I'm feeling cynical inside And the music's buried in a shallow grave Wish I could help all of the millions of the world But the truth is that there ain't no soul to say People say it's the sound of the times Waking up got a warp in her eyes If my generation is hopeless then that is the dream You were born a few decades too late no musical taste What can I do Cause I don't have a time machine 
No Soul to Save from Velvet Starlings, the answer to John Farad's question when or will the monkeys when will the monkeys be inducted into the Hall of Fame? The rock and doesn't roll. Sound good for the mon- doesn't sound good for the monkeys there. Yeah. Sounds good for Velvet Starlings though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what, well, so what you have an, an immediate impression, John. What do you got for us? What, what did you think about that? I like that song. I like that song. It was uh, had great personality, great uh, kind of walk down line. Reminded me a little bit of my favorite song from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, and I love Christian's voice, and I love the harmony in there. Oh yeah, yeah, it was very very cool. Well, which what's your favorite song from from uh, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? It, it's the the first song that Frankenfurter sings. Oh yeah, when it, it, yeah the very first. Come on up to the lab and later. see what's on the slab. Yeah. Yeah, that whole thing. Right. So, uh, well, Christian, where did where did that song comes from? Come from? Um, I think like normally I have to try and explain it, but this one kind of speaks for itself. It's mm-hmm. kind of one of those things where you know you go to school and all your friends are super into EDM and hardcore rap and all this stuff, and it's kind of like I'll, I was asking my friends, oh, well, they'll talk about you know, oh, have you heard the new Kanye West song with Rihanna? And that old guy, yeah, it's so cool. Kanye West is helping out new people. It's like, that's straight McCartney. What are you talking about? And it makes it, it's kind of like, 
makes you really cynical. And I that was actually written when I was like 13. So that was one of the first songs, actually. Wow. Well, I had a couple of ideas. It made me think of, have you ever seen the movie Head? The, the monkey movie sure. Head? I Guys? No. Oh, it's a, well, it's a, it's a great, it's weird, a psychedelic a film. And there's a... Written by? Written, written by, by Jack Nicholson and right. Bob Rafelson. And produced by, I think Jack's a, a producer on that. Anyway, there's a scene in it with Frank Zappa and Davy Jones. And Frank Zappa says, Davy Jones says, what do you think about the, the music? And he says, and Frank Zappa says, well, you're pretty white. <laughs> and Davy Jones says, well, yeah, I am. And it's just like this weird, awkward moment, which, you know, Frank Zappa's pretty white, too. So it's the pot calling the kettle white. But it made me think of the knock on the monkeys, sort of like the plastic soul kind of thing. People would say that because they are they were a, quote, manufactured band, that they have no soul to save. And at the same time, and I have to say, I honestly, when I was a kid, I grew up I grew up digging the, the monkeys, but then I became a a surly teenager and judgmental about things. And I didn't, like the monkeys didn't have the same half cultural heft for me that the Beatles did or the who did or, you know, other bands. But I have to say that as I've gotten older and my soul has deepened, my appreciation for the monkeys has grown and grown. And as I've been around people who have worked with them and as I've, you know, just beyond just sort of the, what's on the album cover or what's on the on the in the rolling stone piece about a band but as what's actually there you sort of see that it's like a slow and steady wins the race thing with the monkeys like their cultural impact is so broad and the amount of love that they have inspired and obviously with the passing of peter tork recently the sense of where they have connected to the cultural soul is so rich. So it's almost like the song reminds me of my own prejudices and how they've turned on them, sort of have they've turned on themselves. We've been dealing a lot with paradoxes in the show, and the monkeys are a paradox like that. And I feel like that scene in the movie Head where they're making fun of their own persona as being sort of not as hip as Frank Zappa is part of where that paradox lives. Like part of their soul is in knowing that they quote, have no soul, but that gives them a kind of soul because they can recognize it, right? Does that make sense? Am I talking out of my ass, John? What do you think about this? You are talking out of your ass a little bit, but, but yeah. it does make sense, too. Yeah, thank so you. It's, the, thing with the, the thing with the monkeys is they had immediate cultural impact. They had a TV show and broadcast television is still the greatest way to reach the greatest number of eyeballs. Back then, when there were only three networks, it was massive. That's how huge they were. The backlash... A lot of it came from musicians who wanted to be part of the monkeys who didn't get in there. And then DJs, you know, at the time who thought they were the hippest thing, you know, controlling it. When you look at the interesting thing and you look at the movie had the monkeys were in on the joke. By that point, they actually had control creatively what they wanted to do. And when these guys first got together, you know, they were actors who also were musicians. And the truth is, if you go through history, many of these greatest rock bands were manufactured. Led Zeppelin was manufactured, you know, it grew grew out of the Yardbirds. Jimmy Page was a session guy. He wanted very specific things for the band. He tried to get Moon and Entwistle and he couldn't get them. He had Bonham, you know, lurking with John Paul Jones, who played bass on almost every one of those early hits and things produced by Shel Talmy. 
and they were basically put together to fill a void that was left by touring dates for the Yardbirds that the band couldn't do, because the band was breaking up. Pearl Jam, you know, grew out of Mother Love Bone. They lost their lead singer, who I think committed suicide or OD'd or something. And then they basically said, we need a singer, we got to put somebody in, and that's how Eddie Vedder got in. So if you really go through the history of most of these bands, very few of them come along like Velvet Starlings, you know, have, where they're, you know, friends who get together and start playing, or even like the Terrorists, who I play with. You know, we all got together. We were going to college and high school in Santa Barbara and met through a love of uh, the fact that we all loved the Beatles and we loved surf music and we loved indie music. And that's what brought us all together. And 30 some odd years uh, later, the core of that group is still together and we're all friends. We got lucky. You know, we had some changes with what we were doing and uh, Clem Burke came along and filled in for us and then stayed with us. So when you've got a guy who started Blondie, is in Blondie, he's <laughs> in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and he plays with you, it kind of opens everything up. And then we've had the you know opportunity to work with great producers like Earl, Brandon Friesen, who does the Kooks, and Sum 41, and Nickelback, and then of late, working with Ron Dante. Speaking of your monkeys connection, Ron Dante was one of the two guys they looked at for the role that went to Davey. And then later, Ron was the guy, Don Kirshner, who put together the monkeys, went to to put together the Archies, because he needed someone who was an amazing singer, which Ron was, and is, and he needed somebody who... You know, at the time, he wanted an animated band because the Monkees had decided they were going to control all their music with what they did in concert. So it's all connected, you know, is the amazing thing. And it all has significance. But if you have a TV show, like if, if Velvet Starlings get a TV show, they are instantly culturally significant. You know, I just thought it took sometimes it takes me a little while to get to the interpretation, but I just realized this is not about whether or not the monkeys have soul. That's the red herring in this. The yeah. real question is whether or not the rock and roll of hall of fame has soul. And I would say that the rock and roll hall of fame has no soul to save whatsoever. They, Carol King isn't in it. So fuck them. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. no. And by the way, that's a great point. I mean, Carol King is amazing. Carol King you know, the... is if if she if there is a if there is a hall that she is not in having to do with music, you have missed like there is a boat that has been missed, and I don't even know how you can go back retroactively and undo the mistake and the insult that is there. So that's I, I've always felt like the rock and roll like I. Hey, I just don't even know how you can have a rock and roll hall of fame because so much of what's great, because I feel like the best band in the world is some is often the band that n never that you saw and they blew your mind, but for some reasons that have to do with the industry, no one else ever heard of heard them. I remember once we had Tony Gilkison in here and he was talking about seeing a band at Monterey Pop and we we're saying, well, what was the coolest band you saw? And it was this band that none of us had ever heard of before. <laughs> and I feel like that's like so much of rock and roll is what's immediate. And you can have six months of a great rock and roll band. And if they don't have a TV show, nobody knows who they are, but they're still for the ages for you because you saw them and they blew your mind. And so someone, so yeah. that, that's, by the way, that's a great point. Someone <clears throat> introduced me to a band and like, I'll probably get this wrong, but I want to say it was like 93 or 94 or something like that. Or 95, there was a band called the Thompson Brothers <clears throat> out of Nashville. And it was two brothers and another guy. They were a three piece. And I remember they put out a record, a major label record called Blame It on the Dog. And they had a hit called Back on the Farm Again. 
And they weren't a country band, but they were from Nashville. And I remember seeing them live, this three-piece band, and I was floored with how good they were. And they never took off. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I found them online. They're called, like, the Mass Acoustics now. And now they're out of Florida, two of the guys. But they were one of the best bands I ever saw live. Uh, the Rave Ups. I don't know if you ever saw them and when, when they were uh, playing in the 80s in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, Jimmer Podrowski and those guys. Yeah. Unbelievable live band. And then I remember they put them out on, road as the, uh, on the road as the opening act for the Indigo Girls, and that pretty much, you know, That's not you know, work. killed their spirit. Yeah, and um, the band uh, that Tony was telling us about was a band called The Poppers. Did you ever hear of them? The Poppers, okay. I had never, never heard of them. They're been from Canada. They, I guess they must have blown everyone away on the second night at Monterey Pop, but never heard of them. So, I mean, that, and I think that's, again, that's, as, as you're saying, I think probably any of us who have been in this business for any amount of time can tell st- many stories about bands that, yeah, I mean, I've seen The Who and I've seen this, but you've never seen the Thompson Brothers. And if you had, if you meet someone who had, you're, it's almost like this religious experience. Like, you've seen them and I've seen you them know, and nobody else knows, right? You know, you know who was like that early on? When I was in high school, I would drive up to San Francisco with my buddies. I was like 16. And, and Christian, I was shorter than you and looked 20 years younger than you. Like, I had the biggest baby face of all time. So you were an embryo. And I would sneak. I was an embryo. <laughs> and I would, I would sneak in to the back, through the back of the club. I, you know, I was too young to go in. I didn't have a fake ID. But <laughs> I was 16, and I looked like I was like 10. But I would sneak in. I, I learned you could just walk through the back of a club, and I'd walk in with an empty guitar case. And nobody would question you. <laughs> so I'd stand at the side of the stage and try to watch bands until I got thrown out with my buddies. But there's a band I saw who was a three-piece at the time, and it was a guy named Greg Kinn, K-I-H-N. And Greg Kinn was phenomenal. He later had a couple hits with the breakup song and Our Loves in Jeopardy. Yeah. But when he first came out, Tom Petty was opening for him. You know, and all those, you know, those kind of famous bands that came around in the late 70s, they all opened for Greg Kinn. He was this little power pop, you know, trio, and they were phenomenal. And then later... You know, they had hits and did some stuff, but no one ever said, oh, they're this amazing band after they started having hits. But when I first saw them, I remember they did a couple of Springsteen songs, and it was in that period when Springsteen was in court, so he wasn't recording or touring. Mm-hmm. And that's how we heard songs like Rendezvous and For You and stuff like that, because um, Greg Kim was playing Springsteen songs. I think he had played with Springsteen early on. Sweet. Wow. wow. I'd see again. That's 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 the real deal. Pure and easy stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, well, John, uh, we we gotta we gotta keep rolling here. But this is gonna be coming out in June. Is there any way we can? Where, what should we be looking for from the Tearaways in June? Well, we're doing really well with a single that just came out called "The Wrecking Crew" right now, and uh, I do believe that's still gonna be getting play in June. <clears throat> we have a couple other brand new songs that are part of the new record, which will come out end of April, beginning of May. One's called Hey Judas. It was a take on Hey Jude and inspired by all the people who've kind of betrayed all of us and our friends and family. Um, kind of our Sermon on the Mount song. And then we have another song called Jessica Something that we just recorded with Ron that we're incredibly proud of. We're going to be playing dates in England and Ireland and Scotland this summer. We're going back to 
fatal week in Liverpool in August. And, um, you know, we hope to be doing some TV and stuff and uh, hopefully doing more stuff with Velvet Starlings because they're an amazing band. Well, they're going to be touring the U.K. right yeah. with the week this comes out. Yeah, exactly. First right week, first the end week of May. In, it's like two weeks. First, the, the last week of May into June. In the first week of June. Perfect. Cool. And maybe if you're, if, if you're okay with that, we could throw one of your songs, one of those uh, singles you mentioned on the back of this podcast so people can hear it. Which one would you like us to throw on there? Either Wrecking Crew, Hey Judas, or Jessica Something. We'll send all three over to you and... You play whatever you want to play. I'm kind of into Hey Judas already. <laughs> I want to hear this song. Although uh, the passing of Hal Blaine makes me feel like we should probably do the Wrecking Crew. But I don't know. We'll decide. You'll yeah, hear at the end of this podcast. Good, you'll you'll uh, yeah. you'll know in just a second. Oh, I will be surprised. So. Excellent. Well, thank you, John, and safe travels, and just keep rocking. Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball. We hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. For more info about our show, visit Radio8Ball.com, where you'll find the Radio 8 blog, our Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the pop oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you give us good reviews and ratings, that really helps get the word out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio 8 Ball Like you, a product of your sins. You don't know where the line starts or where the truth begins. Your angry eyes are no surprise to all of us who see right through you. The truth is, you don't matter, never did. What's even sadder is the fate God has awaiting you. You never could be trusted. When all the chips were cast, you were the only one who busted. False witness falls astray. You find the walls are closing in. It's harder every day. Greatness to your folly. Crash to earth like Buddy Holly. With all your selfish acts and deeds. You conspire with your brothers. And go dark like all the others. With moronic plans that will not succeed. You will be judged. was so sweet with prideful lust complete distrust you kicked her to the street you put everyone through hell the youth are far too blind to know you can't unring that bell the image in your mirror couldn't come in any clearer even if it was your guilty twin publicly insane while you sadly lose your reign as the verdict that's been rendered leaves no doubt to where you've been Judged. You will be judged when you 
night. You kiss my cheek, the truth you seek is hidden in plain sight. Hey, Judas. The only victims here are all your friends who now know all your deeds are insincere. Hey, Judas. You're really not that bright. We figured out your treachery before you said goodnight. Hey, Judas. Just one more thing to say. The music's not the only thing that died upon that day. <laughs> 